0: Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as our special guest speaker delivers this week's message. About two weeks ago, Pastor Nate preached on what's in a name and the importance of a solid genealogy. Last week we talked about one specific family and that background leads us into today and our introduction to one specific person, Abram. You see, as Pastor Nate taught us, the Bible is taking an important pivot here. Up until chapter 11, most of scripture is events driven. That's what we see now is a focus on people. Although the events continue to be important, they're secondary to what God is going to do and accomplish through people. Please open your Bibles to chapter 12 of Genesis. We can continue our exploration of God's Word. If you need a Bible, then please I encourage you to help yourself to one of the ones in the seat back in front of you. Feel free to take it home. Read it, study it, make it part of your life. No one should be without the Word of God. If you're able, I ask that you please stand as we may, once again, together, grace our lives with the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 12, verse one and following. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in, all, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had gathered or had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Sachem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev You may be seated. Excuse me. There have been more than a few sermons written on these verses, and in fact, I've written more than one myself. And the thing many of these sermons have in common is that they attempt to make much of Abram's response to God's command to go in the first verse. While while his response to God is admirable, it's not the point of this account. The point of our verses are the promises of God. In a few minutes, we're going to spend some time looking at these promises. But first, how is it that Abram, who just a chapter ago was living in the household of an idolatrous pagan, responds to God so readily? The answer can be found in the first six words of verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, the Lord spoke to Abram. Or, another way of putting this, is that God revealed himself to Abram. God, speaking to Abram, revealed his glory and his majesty through his voice, and later, in verse 7, through an actual appearance. The revelation of God's infinite glory would no doubt be able to turn Abram's heart on a dime He could go from being the son of an idolater to a believer in the snap of a finger. Abram's response to the imperative word go has nothing to do with Abram and everything to do with God. God didn't need Abram to carry out his plan of salvation. Rather, God chose to work through Abram. And in choosing to work through him, God made some promises to him. Let's dig into them. In biblical study, it's often said, structure reveals what's important. Unfortunately, I have no idea where that phrase originated. Otherwise, I'd be happy to cite the author for you. But I'm telling you, I hear this a ton. So, what's the structure of the first three verses? Let me give it to you all at once, and then we're going to spend time breaking it down the go of verse one and the so at the end of verse two are imperatives these imperatives bookend the three calls of abram and the three blessings that god will give to him the so is the purpose of god blessing abram verse three is a three-part expansion of that blessing so it's three sets of three items sounds like a lot Let's employ the elephant theory. Familiar with that? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So we're going to eat an elephant. Excuse me sir. So, first bite of our elephant. The words "go" and "so." Two imperatives. Doesn't really seem to be much there. Or is there? Go is an imperative command that calls Abram three times. First time to leave his country. The second time to leave his kindred. The third time to leave his father's household. Each one of these calls accomplishes several things. They pull Abram out from his culture and out from his old ways of thinking. They hit the reset button on his thinking, if you will. As Abram is removed from his country, as he's removed from his friends, and as he's removed from his family, he'll no longer be influenced by their culture and their customs. And he's directed to travel to a land that God will show him. What land? I don't know. Doesn't really matter. If it mattered, God would have told us. What does matter is that this is the first of six times that God says, I will, in these verses. That's that structure thing again, rearing its ugly head. Repeated words and phrases. If scripture repeats itself, we should pay attention. When God repeats himself six times, We should sit up and take notice. God says here six times that he's going to do something. I think that you can rest assured that it's going to get done. And just as a reminder, God wills to use Abram for this, but he doesn't need Abram for this. Next bite of the elephant. The three blessings... That God promises to Abram. First, that he will be a great nation. Second, that he will be blessed. And third, that his name shall be great. The first blessing is that he should become a great nation. This must seem a little odd to Abram. He has no children, and his wife is barren. By human standards, he'll never have children, let alone become a great nation. Once again, God takes Abram out of the equation and he promises him something that can only be accomplished by a miracle. The next blessing is that he, Abram, would be blessed. At first, this sounds like some kind of religious double-talk. That's because we equate blessings with things. Who hasn't heard someone say that they were blessed by a, by a possession? Things like, Lord has certainly blessed me with that new Maserati. Or, I have been blessed with this 22-room house. But the reason God blesses us And the reason that he blessed Abram is so that the glory of those blessings would be reflected back to him. The same is for the third blessing. It's not for Abram that the Lord will make his name great. It's for his own glory. Hold that thought. This is where that second imperative comes in. The word, so, it's also the third bite of our elephant. That one small word in the middle of verse two gives us a clear context to the calls of Abram and the blessings for him. What's the function of these calls and blessings? So that he, Abram, would be a blessing. How are we defining blessings? Something that reflects glory back to God. So Abram's life is to reflect God's glory back on God so that the nation that he is to be the father of worships the true God. Through this promise, God is using Abram to raise up a nation of worshipers. Next bite. Verse 3. This verse is a three-part expansion of the blessings that were promised before. God will bless those who bless Abram. God will curse those who dishonor him. And in all the families of earth, in him, all the families of earth shall be blessed. God will bless those who bless Abram. Those that see a reflection, those that see Abram as a reflection of God's glory, and in turn glorify and worship God, shall also be blessed. Well, those that choose not to be blessed by Abram, or worse yet, dishonor Abram by rejecting the blessing and therefore rejecting God shall be cursed they will be judged and they are destined to spend an eternity separated from God as much joy and delight as we have in being blessed by God that should be directly proportional to the fear and dread that we should feel at the thought Of being cursed by a holy and sovereign God. At last we come to the final promise of this group. In Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Simply put, this is the promise of Jesus Christ. Who else could bless every family on earth? Through the God-ordained lineage, Jesus will be born of the line of Abram. And what did Jesus do in his ministry? He reflected the glory back onto God. There you have it. Three sets, three items. You've just eaten a whole elephant, and you didn't even know it. Congratulations. Now, overall... You might recognize these promises as the Abrahamic covenant that we see later on in chapter 15, and you would be right. These are the unconditional promises that form that covenant. When I say that they're unconditional promises, I mean that they are built on God's statements of, I will. God is calling to Abram, making promises and bestowing blessings all while demanding nothing in return. Indeed, had any response been required of Abram, Abram would then have had a hand in fulfilling these promises. That's not the case. God has Abram doing nothing because Abram can only do nothing. Abram responds to God's call not because he wants to but because he has had close personal encounters with the revealed Lord. I said earlier that God speaking to Abram in the first verse is a revelation of his glory and his majesty and it is. And please don't lose sight of how important that event is. The last time that we know of God speaking directly to someone at this point in our Bible timeline is Noah. This is a very big deal, and it's not the last conversation they're going to have. Abram's initial response is based on the revelation of God through his voice. Skip with me, please, down to verse 7. Abram, I set up camp in Sachem, which is in Cana, and the Lord appears to him. Now, stay with me. We're working on the idea that Abram is motivated by the, relation, by the revelation of God's glory and majesty. Up to this point, it was only revealed by God speaking, as far as we know. But here in verse 7, God actually appears. He not only appears, but he shows up and he speaks to Abram again with another one of those I will statements. He says he will give this land to Abram's offspring. And just as a reminder, Abram don't have no offspring, and he has no human reason to think that he will ever have children. So the promise here must resonate deeply with Abraham, particularly after being told that he'll become a great nation. But look at the context of this promise in light of the theophany. Theophany. It's one of them $9 church words that means God appeared. God appears to Abraham to make this promise in person, in all of his glory. Why do I think that God appears in all of his glory? Because God don't do things in half measures. I don't think that this is an appearance of a poor shepherd boy in tattered robes and sandals. I think this is a full-on theophany with God seated on his throne because his feet are too holy to touch the ground backed up by a glimpse of the heavenly hosts of heaven behind him with trumpets blaring and angels singing. This is God in his glory with all the subtlety of a Broadway show and all the pageantry befitting the holy God of the universe. To see that glory and to see that majesty the impact that it must have had on Abram's heart is incalculable. It was so impactful for Abram that he goes and he builds an altar to the God that appeared to him. What's an altar for? Directs worship. Abram who's given the promises so that he will be a blessing or someone who reflects honor, and glory back to God, builds something that directs worship to God. Everything Abram is doing so far is highlighting the glory and the worship of God. Again, it's not because Abram is holier than the other people or because he's in any way better than anybody else, but because God has chosen to reveal himself to him and this is the heart of Abram's, the response of Abram's heart to that revelation. This theophany means so much to Abram that later he builds another altar to God and calls on the name of the Lord. He does this because his heart needs to worship God more. His heart He's crying out to the God who walks with him. Right now, in our biblical timeline, Abram is motivated by the revelations of God. Do you want to know how I know this? Because Abram is mostly irrelevant to this account. You know what makes me say that? If we take Abram out of this account, what do we have? We have the promises of God. We have the revelation of God through voice and through physical manifestation. And we have the glory and majesty of God on display. We have pretty much the same account. If we take God out of the account and leave Abram in, what do we have? We have a guy wandering the desert, piling rocks on each other. What is it that Abram does to win God's favor? What does Abram do to see to it that God's promises are kept? How does he make sure that through his bloodline, Jesus Christ is born and therefore all the nations will be blessed? Absolutely nothing. That's all he could do. This is God working, not Abram. He certainly responds to God's call and does what God commands him to do, but not because he is gaining anything or finishing the work that God started. If that was the case, there would be no need for Jesus. As I've said several times already, his motivation is from the revelation of God's glory and not anything else. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are a partaker of the promise of blessing. And as one who is blessed, we should be motivated to reflect that blessing back to God. But motivation can be fleeting. And the human heart can be fickle. As believers, I think, we want to reflect glory and worship back to God. Sometimes that kind of gets lost in the stuff of life. We need inspiration. We need some kind of daily reminder of the wonder and the glory of who God is. If only, if only there was some kind of a book where we could read about that. I, I, you know, I don't know, perhaps, wait, I have an idea. I brought my pocket Bible with me. What if we, as believers, read our Bibles every day? I'm not talking about studying your Bible. Nothing like where you need, eight highlighters, five commentaries, two notebooks, a bunch of cross-references, and three pastors to review your notes. There's a place for that. This ain't it. Just read your Bible. Full stop. Maybe do a chapter a day. If you do that, If you read one chapter a day in this book, I promise you that you will see the glory and majesty of God unfolding before your eyes. Somehow, somewhere, we lose the fact that this book is not about us. It's the story of Jesus and his plan for the salvation of the world as told by God. I think that sounds like a pretty good book. What do we do with this? I've used the term believers four or five times now as I've attempted to see how to apply these verses. That's because if you are a believer and you're reading scripture, well, we don't have to go through all that again. But if you're not a believer, and by that I mean someone who has not accepted Christ's Lordship over their lives, and someone who's not seeking a personal relationship with God, then you're missing out. To most unbelievers, this book, It's just a nice book filled with beautiful stories. You're missing out on the splendor and the majesty of God. Not only that, but you're not seeing all of God's promises being lived out in your life. There is one promise you're gonna get to see though. I refer back to verse 3 where it says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. If you choose to dishonor God by rejecting his son, you will be cursed. And to be clear, cursed is the eternal separation of God. But please, don't be motivated by fear. Speak to Pastor Nate, and Brother Rob, Brad the intern. Brad, raise your hand. Thanks. Or any one of our deacons. Sit down with them and together seek God in his scripture. Salvation is here. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, lean on that promise and join with God for eternity. Let's pray. (coughs) Dear Heavenly Father, your word tells us to be still and know that you are God. We know that we are sinners and undeserving of the love and the grace of a holy God. But Father, you don't give us what we deserve. Instead, you offer us salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son. Through his actions and his alone, we are accepted into fellowship with you and offered the opportunity to worship you for all time. For this, dear Father, We offer you thanks and praise. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.